Thanks, Graeme. Morning, everybody. Now, before we get started on our next passage in Colossians, I want you to stretch those imagination muscles for me. I want you to imagine for a moment that you're wandering down a busy street. You're busy with your daily life. You're walking past the gates of a huge, impressive palace. And then someone you know pops up and says, do you fancy bobbing in? The gates are open. Apparently, everyone's welcome to go inside. And you're a little bit cautious, rightly. Um, But the front doors are open, and no one's guarding that door. So you think, cool, maybe they're right, let's go. So you start to explore. And you're moving from room to room, and it's beautiful. And you're a little bit confused by what some of these things are, but you understand they're obviously important. And you're a bit dazed, and you're in wonder. And then suddenly you realize you're lost. You're aware that you don't look like someone you'd expect to find here. And suddenly that fear starts to rise. What if someone discovers you and thinks that you've just broken in? What if you've strayed into a part that you're not supposed to be in? This could be bad. This could be really bad. And everything about you that makes you feel like you don't fit in here suddenly feels heightened. And then you catch sight of something. There's a map on the wall. And as you look at it, you spy a little you are here sticker. And suddenly your heart rate starts to settle a little bit as you realize that your friend was right. It's okay for you to be here enjoying all of this. The map has messages on it saying you are welcome here. The king wants to be able to share in all of the riches of this palace with you. And there's little notes on the map that show you that they get it. They know that you might feel a little bit lost or a little bit confused and question whether you're really meant to be here. And they wanted you to know, yes, you are absolutely welcome. Well, our small bit of scripture for this morning is that map. It's that you are here sticker. And all those kind notes that are stuck on it, we find in this passage, you are absolutely supposed to be here. You see, for the people of Colossae, they have just had this incredible poetry read to them, where Paul's love for Jesus has exploded out in this letter. And he's described this all-sufficient, supreme nature of Jesus. This is what they've just heard. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, I don't know about you, but I imagine 
their minds are pretty blown by this. It's overwhelming, although it's wonderful. The poem is this great big map of the cosmos, the whole story of creation and redemption. And now, luckily for us, the other week, we had the wonderful Dan Kingsley walk us through this passage. And I really commend his talk to you on this. You can just catch that up from the website. But for the people of Colossae, today's passage is the You Are Here sticker. It focuses them in on how this applies to you. This little bit is where the ordinary Christians in this little tiny church plant in Colossae and us ordinary Christians forming this part of the church in the oak find our You Are Here label on this great big map. It's just three verses, but they are packed full of meaning. It's all about change and rescue and the future that awaits us. So we're going to read Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. It's going to come up on the screen. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Lord Jesus, we come before you. We pray, open our eyes to see that this is for us. Holy Spirit, we pray, come and equip our hearts. Give us ears to hear your words, to know you more through your scriptures. Give us ears and hearts ready to respond what it is to, to what it is that you're speaking to our hearts today. We thank you for your leading. We pray as we journey through your word, you will grow in us a longing for holiness. We pray that this will be to your glory, Lord. Amen. So our passage gives us a you were there, a you are here, and you will be there. You were there. Verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Paul's writing to a bunch of people in Western Turkey. They'd been pretty much shut out by the Jews who had seen God very much as not for these guys. We're his special people. You can be kind of on the periphery. If they tried to come and worship God at the temple, they would have been right out in the Gentile courts. They wouldn't have been able to get anywhere near the important bits of the temple. But Paul says, that's not really why you're alienated. That's why you, not why you're on the outside. Their hostility to God flowed from the lifestyles that they were living. Paul diagnoses this problem. He says, we've chosen not to be with God. We've seen him as our enemy, and we've lived in a way that is not his best for us. We pulled away, we resisted. We've resisted his love, and we've isolated ourselves in the process. 
The people of Colossae were chasing after all kinds of other idols and not the true God, much like we do, perhaps by looking at the idol of money or career or family or material stuff. All the places that we can seek security and identity that aren't God. And we can be tricked into thinking that this evil behavior is actually all the fun stuff. And then God rocks up and he's the fun police and he's like, oh no, no, this has to stop. But the passage before has shown us what God is offering to us is something so much bigger and richer for eternity. Because all that other stuff is just going to leave us feeling empty. Either it's never going to be enough or we're never going to be enough. And it's causing us to miss out on the life that God created us for. Maybe when I said alienated or enemies or evil behavior, what sprang to mind for you was more like, "Mm, not sure that matches up. I think I was trying to live a decent life. I was trying to be kind to people. I don't think I was hostile to God. I just never thought about him. Well, that's still living separate to him. It's still being apart. Paul isn't saying that we're all the same and that we'll all respond the same. But what he is trying to do is describe all of humanity in this little bit of scripture. Humanity as a whole has rebelled against the order of God. It's our sin in turning our back on him. If you like, it's the red sock of doom that has been put in with the rugby kit and the whitewash is trashed. Everything gets tainted. Paul says, not so long ago you were excluded. Deal with it. You were on the outside of all this wonder. You weren't sharing in this incredible experience of being in living relationship with God as his image bearers. The one that he designed you for. But there's good news. Because now, if you want to be, you're here. Verse 22. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you as holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. But now, now you're on the inside. You were out in the street. Now you're in the palace being told the king wants you there. You are welcome in. In actual fact, he wants to see you and hang out. God takes the initiative to overcome both their and our exclusion, both profoundly and permanently, transforming both our present and our futures by his death on the cross. We've been reconciled. Now, we often use reconciliation when we talk about families, don't we? If there's been a big family fallout, they decide to put that behind them. And it's beautiful, but it's complicated. And it's messy, and it normally involves dealing with a whole lot of pain. It involves dealing with the heartbreak of relational breakdown and the delight of relationship. It needs both parties to buy in, to be intentional, to deal with the causes and share a desire to rebuild. There was a lot to do to make it right between us and God. And the reality is, even though we created all the damage, we just didn't have capacity to fix it. We'd strive and we'd struggle to make it right, but we'd never get there. 
So Jesus did what was required. God went to the cross. His heart stopped beating. Jesus died paying the penalty in our place so that we get to move from death to eternal life. He rises triumphantly, turning humanity around. And now we're free from accusation and forgiven. That's why it's good news. He broke open a way for us to be back with God. He has reconciled you. Not just for you, though, but for many. Did you ever wonder what enabled Jesus to endure the cross? Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, and it's talking about Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. What was that joy set before him? Not just the bliss of being back in heaven with his father, but the hope that Isaiah 53 points us to, that as the righteous servant, he will justify many by bearing their iniquities. He's going to see the results of his suffering and be satisfied and glorified because he came for us. His blood alone creates peace between God and humans in this cosmic reconciliation. This is the generosity of God, that he literally loves us to death and right back out the other side. And this incredible generosity of God has three consequences for us now. And these are as follows from verse 22. We get to be seen as holy in his sight. Holiness literally means to be set apart, to be set apart for God. Once we'd set ourselves apart from God, we'd done a whole bunch of stuff turning our backs on him. Now we get to be set apart for God, to be obedient and trust that his direction and rule over our life lets us live life in all its fullness. We get to be without blemish. Any sacrifice that was made to God had to be without blemish. The purity of the animal that was sacrificed covered the impurity of the one sacrificing it. Only Christ's perfect sacrifice can cover all of our imperfections. That's how he sees us now, without blemish. And finally, it says we are free from accusations. That's our new legal status. There's no charges against us anymore. Romans 8, verses 33 to 34, puts it this way. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Jesus is praying for you. We can live secure in this new identity because it's based on Jesus' merits and not ours. It means that we are all welcome. It doesn't matter what you've done or not done. It only matters what he did. If we know that's our story, it changes the way we think about ourselves, changes our view of our purpose, our value, our identity, 
And through the work of the Holy Spirit, that transforms us. Because he says, you will be there. Again, we'll be presented as holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation, a promise for the future. When we stand before the Father, we'll be welcomed into his presence. Now, there's no perfect analogy, but if we revisit that palace that we did at the start, our sure and certain hope is that one day we get to enter the throne room and the king is going to look at us and see us as his, set apart for him, spotless and free from accusation. And he will say, you know what? This palace has got many rooms. I've got one ready for you. It's time for you to start calling this place your home and enjoy it with me forever. 1 Peter 1 points us to this future inheritance. It says, we get an inheritance that will never perish, spoil and fade. Nothing can take it from us. We're kept in this living dynamic of hope, of what we will inherit, that we know is being kept safe for us, that we're sealed with the Spirit for. So what happens next? We don't get ushered into his royal presence, ruler of the universe, and then sit back and do nothing. No. That's where this last bit of scripture comes in. Verse 23. If you continue in your faith, established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed over every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Verse 23, if you continue in faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Well, hang on a minute. We really liked verses 21 and 22. They were really confidence building. Don't worry, this all depends on God. It doesn't depend on me. And then this one. Do I, do I have a part two? What? Does it actually all depend on me after all? No, thankfully not. Let's not miss the point. This isn't about our efforts. It is about our dependence. Where are we going to put our trust? We continue in the faith, not to save ourselves, but to prove that we are already saved. Mark Maynall says it's like a sandwich of tenses. There's two instructions that apply for now, and they make the bread, while the results of the two past tenses are the filling. So present, bread, continue in your faith and do not move. Now, they feel like a little bit of a contradiction. How do I continue implying that I'm going somewhere and not move at the same time? Well, the Christian faith is a journey. We continue making progress along the right trajectory by not moving off that path that God has set for us. The journey Jesus gets to set. He gets us to the end of that journey by the filling. He's sandwiched between our bread of continuing and not moving. Two really important words. They're things that he has done for us. One is established and the other is firm. These are things that are already done. This is what Jesus has already made us. We're on this journey that Jesus started us on and we're doing something because of that. 
We couldn't have done it for ourselves. He started us off and he's going to get us to the end. He's the one we need to stick to. Jesus is the finisher of our salvation. He's the one that creates and sustains and saves. We add nothing to his salvation. We're merely living it out. Sounds a bit better. But how might we become a bit unstuck? We might, I'm going to suggest, come up with a relatively long list of all the things we currently do or have done in the past that aren't holy and aren't without blemish. Holiness means set apart for God. And you will struggle to live a holy life if you incessantly keep trying to remove yourself from this group of people that God says I've set apart over here and relabel yourself over here a sinner. Paul writes this letter to the people in Colossae, but he titles them Living Saints. I think few of us would give ourselves that title. But the most important thing is not how others see us or how we see ourselves, but how we appear to God. The challenge is to stop denying the work of Jesus on the cross by constantly speaking those former mistakes over ourselves. It's the difficulty of being in this now and not yet place. God speaks something true over us, and yet at the same time, we're in this transformation process by the Holy Spirit that eventually we'll see in its fulfillment. This trajectory of transformation means we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, seated in heaven. We need to try really hard not to focus so much on ourselves and to start focusing on him because we're already freed and we're already pardoned which means that there is a security and a freedom to come and draw close to him. We're already accepted. We're already loved. We're already drawn close. Grace is by its very nature colossally unfair. Thank God for it. Because justice means we get exactly what we deserve. And mercy means we we don't get what we deserved, we've been spared. But grace, Grace means we get what we don't deserve. We get all of this richness and family and relationship with God. Let's learn to thank God for that rather than alienating ourselves again. Does that speak life to you today? Does that somewhere cause a little bit of hope to rise? Because Paul continues pleading with us to remain faithful to Christ because he knows that they, like us, lived in a a community and a culture that was doing its best to start pulling away the people from God, start suggesting that they put their hope in other places, distracting our hopes and appealing to our magpie-itis, as I like to term it, the chase of all things shiny, the better car, the nicer holiday, the better job, the nicer home, the better school for our kids, all those things that seem shiny and glamorous that we can really easily change our trajectory and start chasing after. And the result of that is that those things start trying to nudge Christ off his throne, King Jesus' throne. We start putting those things there, we start chasing after those things instead, worrying about how we're going to attain them. And in the process, we spiritually decline. 
We're not coming to the source of all love and light and hope and all the good stuff. So we get less good at loving God. And we get less good at loving our neighbours. Because we're doing it all in our strength. Our culture sets up these false hopes of fulfilment. And they can look so attractive, but they will always let us down. So don't get distracted. Don't wander off. Continue firmly taking responsibility for your growth and maturity in faith by partnering with the Holy Spirit. The foundations have been laid properly. It's now time to make like a bricky and build on them. Don't wander off somewhere else and start building on something else that's not going to be robust enough to stand your life on. This foundation is the gospel. God's new creation has begun in the resurrection of Jesus. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's reconciling everything and renewing all things. That's already started and you get invited to share in it. So how do we do it well? We ask the Holy Spirit to lead us, to show us. God knows that we need help. That's why he gives us an almighty helper literally, who is poured out on us so that we get to enjoy relationship with him. We can invest in our time with him. We can cultivate friendship with him. We can start walking with him now. The Holy Spirit knows that when we start to do things in our own strength, to put it politely, we get ourselves in a bit of a pickle. So if we ask him, he will strengthen us He will reveal God to us and he reveals truth to us as he teaches us. He knows what we need so he equips us and he gives us all kinds of gifts to go into all the stuff that he is leading us into. Promises to prepare the way for us. If you don't really know how to get started, ask him. Ask him to show you what it looks like for you to intentionally spend time with him. Now, that might be reading your Bible. It's a great way to see God revealed. It might be going for a walk in nature and just giving yourself a bit of headspace allows for a bit of room for him to speak and start saying some stuff over you. Find your rhythm and go with it. But be intentional. Keep looking into the Gospels to see him, to love him, to rejoice with the joy that we find there. Make time to listen to his prompts. Sometimes that might be the next thing that he just drops into your mind. Test it. Is it going to help you love God more? Is it going to help you love other people more? If it is, what have you got to lose? It's a step of faith saying, I think you might have spoken. I'm going to try and step out in obedience into this. And the more we do it, the easier that becomes to discern God's voice speaking. Hanging out with somebody naturally helps us recognize their voice when they're talking to us. We pick up a phone and someone's like, hi, how are you doing? We know who that is already. We know that voice. We crack on. We also pick up mannerisms from the people that we hang out with a lot. We maybe end up saying similar phrases that we've picked up from somebody that we love. God wants you to grow in holiness, and we do that by being around him more. We get to look to the great hope that Paul points us to at the end of this letter. So we're going to skip to that. 
there is a hope of good news for us. A hope of freedom from the sin that has kept us trapped in negative habits. There's a hope of freedom to be in relationship and friendship with God. There's a hope of resurrection, that death isn't going to be the end for us. A hope of a new creation where all of evil is done with. Jesus' lordship covers all of this. He's concerned with everything he makes. Are we going to be like Paul and join in in proclaiming this good news to others? There's a call for us to say to hear this afresh, that you are welcome, that you are supposed to be here. As I was praying about it, the word kind of, like, am I faking it? Is there a bit of like imposterism here going on? Colossians 1, verses 12 to 14, is a great way of Paul doing that parenting thing where he tells you exactly the same thing, which is slightly different wording, in the hope that he just drills this message into us. He says, give joyful thanks to the Father. Who has qualified you? You are ruled in to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and he has brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. So how are you going to respond today? In a few minutes we will be sharing communion together. And if you're aware that today you've been living separate from God, why not make today the day that you accept his invitation of reconciliation with him. It's a gift. He's done all the legwork. He's died on the cross for you. Boldly accept the offer of relationship with him. Come to this table knowing that you are welcome to receive his sacrifice for you and his invitation to come and live as family. Perhaps you know Jesus already but you've, and you've been filled with the spirit you've drifted a little ask the Holy Spirit to fill you afresh to say no to some of those false hopes and yes to the hope that we find in the gospel the love of the Father for us to enjoy, the salvation he won for us the spirit who fills us and equips us perhaps it was that little bit about breaking the habit of speaking a different identity over yourself And you want God to help you to start to see yourself as someone who is reconciled by Christ's death, who is presented holy in his sight, who is without blemish and who is free from accusation. Ask his spirit to help you put your hope in the source of life and love and meaning and purpose. We can be reconciled to the creator of the universe stopping us I'm going to pray for us and um, if the band want to come up and then we all all break bread together Heavenly Father I thank you that you are you are good news for us that you formed us in love that the love between you Father, Son and Spirit was so intensely perfect and beautiful that you wanted to make us so that we got to share in it with you Jesus, we thank you that you came to do what we couldn't do for ourselves. You came to reconcile us, to bust open a way back to you. 
We pray, Holy Spirit, be nudging our hearts if there's stuff that we just need to let go of and surrender. As we prepare to come to this table, would you just, in repentance, help us to bring these things before you that are now the barriers between us, trusting that you deal with them completely, that your blood covers all of them. Help us to take and eat this bread and this wine in as we take that cup that we would know your good news for each one of us, that we would encounter you as we come to this table and be reconciled once again to you and your goodness. Holy Spirit, we say you are welcome. Come and work in us and through us, within us. Oh Jesus, we thank you that you, you are our good news. We pray, come be at work at us in this time, Lord. Amen.